everybody. I'm Andrea Siminski, and this is the Hindsight's 2020 podcast. On this episode, we'll be talking about how different generations have reacted to and been impacted by the pandemic. Today's guest is my friend, Jason Wong. Jason's a native of San Jose, California, and a second-generation Asian-American who works as an HR analyst supporting a mid-sized biotech company in the Bay Area. Welcome, Jason. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. Okay, so my friend, as we were prepping for this conversation, you sort of surprised yourself with the number of experiences that you'd had in 2020. You kind of noted that so much had happened, but you never really had the time to marinate on it, as you put it, or to process it. And I think that so many of us feel that way too. It's like we've been in fight or flight mode for so long. And that's like a huge reason why I wanted to create this safe space for all of us to sort of pause, acknowledge, and process what just happened to us. And for a lot of people, I think perhaps the best starting point is simply at the beginning. Can you take me back kind of one year ago, right around now, and describe what was happening in your life? Yeah, definitely. Um, can you believe that it's a year from like, now? Like, I think tomorrow would be the official year that uh, San Francisco went into the official mandate, right? That uh, everyone had to uh, work from home. Yeah. So that's pretty much how it started. For me, at least. Uh, but leading up to it, it was a lot of stress just from work itself. I was in a job that I knew that I could not be successful in just because of management style, overall like company culture. Uh, so it was, in summary, burning me out. Mm-hmm. And the most difficult thing during that time was the fact that there were so much unknowns with the pandemic. So many of my uh, friends' companies were, you know, taking very progressive stances. And, you know, early March said, we're all working from home. And Mm -hmm. the company I was at couldn't figure it out, was going on with all these, you know, ideas and just constantly going in circles. It definitely didn't help that uh, I had a very interesting manager to say the least. And that definitely put me in a spiral in terms of my mental health. Mm. Well, I mean, it sounds like you were able to quickly recognize that there was a mental health issue going on. Mm -hmm. So were you able to kind of take care of yourself, put yourself first and kind of get the help you needed? Uh, It was interesting because uh, I think we all know our, our limitations When it comes to anxiety, stress of that sort, you know, we've all been there with school, family, you know, all different type of life stressors. But I think, I don't know if it was a a mixture of the pandemic and then with the culture of the company and the micromanaging that I was dealing with, uh, I had my first panic attack when I was uh, on the first or second week we were uh, at home. And so that was pretty difficult. Uh, I literally froze into place. I felt like I was having a heart attack. The room was spinning and I had like weird muscle spasms. So no. Yeah. Yeah. You were not home alone, were you? I was home alone. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, it just felt weird. It it felt like I was like, the room was spinning. You know, I was like, I was stuck. And so eventually 
I knew it was it was nothing like some something intense like a heart attack, but I knew it was something. Mm-hmm. It was an attack of some sort. So, and it was the first one you had ever had. Yeah, that was it was that bad, and so uh, I decided to seek some professional help by uh, reaching out to my PCP. They put me in touch with a psychiatrist and really cool guy. Shouts to Dr. Chung in Kaiser of San Francisco. He totally was, you know, kind of affirming, you know, what I was feeling and, you know, the physiological aspect of it. You know, I told him, I was like, you know, the next day was weird. I was super sore. Like I worked out. He's like, yeah, you probably like spasmed so hard that you pulled a muscle uh, during the panic attack. And he said, that's totally normal. And so it it was kind of nice to get that affirmation that, you know, as much as you feel it in your brain, your body goes through it as well. And so I, I went on this kind of like combination therapy where I was to speak to a therapist and also um, start taking a uh, SSRI, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, for short. Medication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, it was extremely helpful. I'm no longer on the medication, but I would say that it definitely saved my life during that time. Wow. I can't imagine like sort of being under the stress of work and then throw, you know, like just the, like you said, the unknown of the pandemic. I mean, we all were sort of like spinning around in circles, but to have that compound so and to manifest itself so acutely must have been really scary. So I'm so happy. And, and the fact that you were alone when this happened to you, you know, unknown out of you've never had this happen, so you couldn't easily identify it. So I'm so happy that you, um, quickly got the help you needed. And that's great. Well, I'm so glad to hear that you've kind of worked through that phase and are off the medication. So probably maybe one of the things that led to this was the stress of work and the pandemic together. So were there any things that you did after this event to kind of try to remedy or set yourself up in a better place, you know, for your for your own mental health going forward. Yeah, you know, it all comes with self-realization, right? Uh, I knew even before the pandemic, this job wasn't for me. It wasn't the job description I signed up for. So unfortunately, I mean, the whole panic attack had to happen. Of course, I don't think anybody would want it to go that far. But after being on medication, it really did help kind of calm me down. It did help numb a lot of the, the you know, I, I would like to say that uh, being a child of refugees, and I can't say just refugees, but I think just overall uh, being a, a child of immigrants, right? I have this thing that we call like inherited anxiety <laughs> mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that we, we often just worry just because our parents worry, right? So it's something we kind of grew up with and it, it's kind of inherited to us. So I'm a natural worrier. I naturally just have anxiety. But being on, on the medication did kind of help mellow me out and kind of gave me stability for me to kind of like stop and just make critical decisions. And so for me, I, I had to go on a job search and protect my own like mental health. So uh, yeah, I had to leave that company. But in doing so, I'm, I'm still with the company I joined afterwards. And it was the best decision I made. So what was it like to be job searching early in a pandemic where a lot of companies were doing 
riffs or furloughing or their their viability like three, six, eight months out, you know, was kind of unknown, especially in the Bay Area with so many, you know, startup companies. What was that experience like? Uh, it was scary because I did have a few friends, you know, or either acquaintances that, you know, had companies that were going through rifts simply because, you know, a loss of an office or just, you know, a quick adaptation to the market. So it was a risk I was willing to take. Of course, you're always, we always have to be grateful for the current job we're in because it provides us, you know, a steady source of income. But it was a risk I was willing to take. That's the immigrant side of you talking. <laughs> <laughs> it takes one to know one. <laughs> but, you know, it's a, again, you know, also being an immigrant, you have to take risks, right? As much as sometimes there's that anxiety, you know, the reason why there are immigrants is because they took that risk to emigrate to another country. Right, right, right. And I meant, I meant um, child of an immigrant, by the way, because I am, we both are, so I, I can relate. But yes, you're right. They did. They took that risk and it's passed down to you too. Yeah. And, and so for me, you know, I, fortunately, I didn't have too many ties. You know, I, I'm in a dual income, no kids relationship. I was renting at that time in San Francisco. And so, you know, and I had a, a pretty comfortable like savings going on. So if I had to rage quit, I could rage quit. <laughs> but of course, you know, uh, interviewing and and meeting other teams at that time was uh, would of course be the preference. And of course, the role I'm in today um, somehow came my way. So uh, fortunately, even in a pandemic, being in the Bay Area, I, I can't speak for other you know uh, regions, but you know we still had a pretty decent job market. We were adapting pretty well to you know the pandemic life. Well, that's awesome. I'm very glad you landed somewhere and you're enjoying it and the work is fulfilling to you. But you mentioned that you were in San Francisco renting at the beginning of the pandemic. And I still can't tell if there was a mass exodus out of San Francisco or not, because the real estate market is still crazy. But I guess that's neither here nor there. Can you tell me about kind of what led to your leaving the city? I loved the city because of all the things that um, I got to do there after work, meeting friends for happy hour. You know, as much as I hated hopping on the five on my 40 minute bus ride home every day, I enjoyed the decompression I got kind of, I walk very fast. So, you know, my, my speed walk through market and hopping on that bus, it was just that routine that I loved and just, I think everyone in San Francisco, just the the friendliness, the, the access to a beach, Golden Gate Park, and not to mention, I just love the nightlife too. Uh, having the possibility when we could go to go to like bars and uh, music events, it's, it seems so far away now. But kind of really looking in hindsight, I still love San Francisco. It always holds a special place in my heart. And I think if given the opportunity and if I had the money, I would definitely move back. That's so nice to hear. So you're no longer renting. You bought your first place, right? Yes. Uh, so it was, you know, I don't know if this is like the pandemic, what is the word? Impulse that kind of all happened during that time. But, you know, with all that happened uh, with my job and you know, I had some other family 
things going on too. It just felt like, you know, after all of that kind of settled and with not having much of a routine in San Francisco anymore, we just thought, you know, why not be homeowners and explore that journey or start that journey in our lives because we can afford to, definitely not in in the city, of course, but we decided the South Bay because we were originally from the South Bay. And so, you know, we found a place. Going back home. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we fell in love with it. And so we made a quick move and here we are now. That's awesome. Are you enjoying it? No regrets? Uh, I mean, I think there is... And I I was kind of reading about it too. Uh, I think a lot of homeowners in the pandemic, some uh, and a lot of millennial ones are maybe having some first time home buyer remorse. Hmm. Tell me more. Yeah, I think it's just uh, a lot of it is the whole adapting to the pandemic, right? We want more space. We want a space that's ours. So we kind of jump into this decision and, you know, put top dollar down to compete for these homes. As um, like you mentioned, the housing market has not changed much. It's in fact still booming. So um, yeah, I feel like all the millennials and, you know, to all the, all the um, analysts that say that millennials do not buy homes, they are liars because we are keeping the housing market alive right now with our uh, tech money. So yeah, I think a lot of it is a lot of rushed decision-making it's just a lot of this kind of rose-colored lenses where it's, oh yeah, we're going to be homeowners, we're going to do this, like, you know, oh, someone's competing for it. But when the toilet breaks... Right, right. So a lot, of, a lot of millennials <laughs> are like, oh, I have to fix that myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jason. Yeah, and a lot of it is not what we <laughs> thought it would be. You know, sometimes like, I think one big comparison is uh, my current setup is I'm squished in between two units. And so a lot of the noise I'm not used to because in San Francisco, I only had like a person above me. And I've come to learn that I tolerate like footsteps more than hearing other people's voices in the wall sometimes. Yeah. So like small things like that, I think uh, you can't really pick up or, you know, you, you can try to do your best in buying. Or on a tour. Right. You can you can only do your best when you're touring a home, but sometimes when you're in the midst of it, right? You're so in love and you're just like, I just want to be a homeowner so bad. Sometimes uh things I guess get lo- overlooked along the way. And I'll I'll have you know, I actually did do my due diligence and I, I swore I came to this house like three times. <laughs> but I believe you. <laughs> but I, I think like, you know, along the way, you know, some tenants changed and all of that. And I was just going to say, just be happy that you don't live where my neighbors do because you would have these two little toddlers. Like, I feel so badly for my neighbors having to listen to Nora and Peter scream (laughs) all day long. But I mean, it's, it all comes with time. So, you know, I think it took a while for me to adjust and it's just getting, it's getting better. Earplugs (laughs) or air purifiers. They give off white noise. That might help. True. It's, you know, Purifying your air. So, yes, it's a twofer. Okay. So, I don't know if you, I would love to chat with you about sort of the summer's events, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter in the Bay Area. You know, to some degree, it feels like we're in a little bit of a bubble, a bubble of, to some degree, you know, privilege, tolerance, diversity, but 
let's be real, there's still lots of problems here. And as an Asian American, I would love to hear your sort of take on all of that work that's being done and then the incredibly just devastating stuff that's going on in the Asian community right now, not only here in the Bay Area, but all across the country. I don't know if you feel comfortable speaking about that, but I just feel like it's so important and too important to not give some time to. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I can give the perfect statement or the solved. But you don't have to. No, <laughs> to no, no. What's going on? Just your take on it. And, yeah, and, and just how you're processing it. Yeah, um, I guess we can start with the summertime. I think what's going on with all different types of communities right now, the unfortunate thing is, you know, lives were lost, but, you know, it's unfortunate that lives were lost and it shouldn't have to begin with in, in the perfect world, right? But I think for the first time and all kind of like in this perfect cocktail of a pandemic, people are finally waking up to injustices that are, you know, going on in the world when it comes to being a person of color and how there is, you know, some, there is white supremacy does exist. Mm -hmm. And there's nowhere, you can't like look away. There's nowhere to run because of the pandemic. So it's like, it has people in their seat. Like you have to observe this. It's a very hard pill to swallow, but again, the cocktail of a pandemic and, you know, something that wasn't really around you know, I, I know Oscar Grant, you know, there were, there was a, a fuzzy videotape and Oscar Grant was probably one of the first gaining national attention. But, you know, now, you know, we have cell phones with 4K video and, you know, we have so many different platforms that you can post to. So you can't run away from it. Not that it's a good thing to run away from, but, you know, it's something that you can't not acknowledge right so it's it's there and now it's we're in that stage of now what do you want to do with it Mm -hmm. and so uh the summer was a really rude awakening for america but i think because of the fact that everyone is kind of you know air quotes woke now hopefully you know as uh companies as people you know we can hold each other more accountable towards, you know, injustices in this world. Yeah. It just breaks my heart that so many people have so much hate inside of them and also like so much denial. Right, right. Yeah, I I totally get you. It's so interesting to see how people are refusing to acknowledge what happened. Yeah. Well, you know, as a member of the... Asian community here in the Bay Area. What are you all talking about or how are you coming together? I know that like in Oakland, a lot of communities are, you know, everyone's coming together. Like here's a bullhorn, you know, handing out to like mm-hmm, local mm-hmm. stores to, to help protect the owners. Yeah, and, or walking I, mean, I, I seriously, I, home. Yeah, I cannot get my head around this. Knocking down and like harming elderly people. I think with, you know, Black Lives Matter happening in the summer, and I think, you know, we talked about this in like a healing circle, 
that I participated in. And, you know, as a, as an Asian American, I think one of the most painful thing is to kind of participate, you know, in supporting Black Lives Matter. And, you know, with that, hoping that just as a society, we can all learn from it, right? And just become better people. And uh, here we are now, a few months later, random elderly people or people of Asian descent are just randomly being attacked. And so it kind of begs the question, you know, as an Asian American, why me? And also, um, it's just this weird fear that has kind of like stirred out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, do you feel any differently? Do you feel any fear when you go about your daily life? I mean, I know that some of the sort of shelter in place lockdown restrictions are being lifted around here. We've, we've been pretty much staying at home for a long time, but you know, we can now dine outside again. Are you changing anything about your routine based on what's happening? For me personally, no. <laughs> um, I think that's just the way I, I approach things. I guess just kind of growing up in, in Eastside San Jose, it's just kind of like, I wish a person would try me. But then, um, <laughs> but I think for, for me, you know, like, you know, what we see in the news is this is impacting a lot of the elderly people, right? And so for me, as, you know, an Asian American, I have Asian parents. And so my fear automatically goes towards them. Uh, you know, so it's it's having that conversation with them. Oh, you know, if you're going to go out, do go to a Asian majority place or, you know, make sure you're in a group or just kind of be more aware of your surroundings just because you don't know. That's so, it breaks my heart, but I'm glad you had that conversation with them. How did they receive it? You know, it's kind of weird because it's kind of like that talk, you know, that we hear from the Black community where you give your your son or daughter that talk. I mean, as an Indian American, I had the talk as well, similar from my parents. I don't know if you did. I think it was like just, we were others here and it was a protective mechanism. I mean, I think that the Black community, like it's a very real thing, but to some degree, I think the Indian community, or at least my parents' generation, definitely felt, similarly that is very interesting and I, I wonder if it and this is just like off the top of my head but i wonder if it has anything to do with like skin color right i think for me being east asian i don't know if because lightness is closer to whiteness right so i don't know whether or not for me my parents always thought well you know and again i hate it but you know we're we're kind of playing into that model minority where it's like oh we're the safe Asians, so you don't need to fear us. And so, yeah, that's a very good point, Andrea. I, you know, my parents has never given me that talk. We did get the talk that we were others, so don't make a don't make a wave, don't cause trouble. You know, this isn't really our land. Um, you know, I I wanted to go into something creative when I was a kid. You know, I wanted to go into arts, and I wanted to go into like uh, automotive design. You know, and my mom's like, no one's going to hire an Asian person. But it's like, come on, mom, like top four companies in America are Japanese. <laughs> but, you know, things like that. But, you know, I, I think with this, a lot of 
pain that we're going through. It's helping us kind of wake up to the fact that we also need to confront our anti-Blackness as an Asian community. Because, you know, as we go through this pain, we kind of realize like, oh man, this is what it must feel like, right? To kind of be in, uh, it gives us some empathy to be in other people's shoes. Um, Of course, it's never fun to have to go through it. But I think also the, you know, with these recent events, at least it kind of helps. And again, back to the perfect cocktail of social media, pandemic and all of that, it shows the world that, you know, we're susceptible to hate crimes too. You know, it is breaking that model minority myth that, you know, Right, which maybe has been a long time coming. And like you said, of course, you don't want bloodshed or lives lost. But I think that we do need to shatter a lot of the sort of complacency we've been living with for the past however many decades. And it all has to kind of blow up, for lack of a better term, so that we can like rebuild it the right way, maybe. Yeah. And, you know, alongside with rebuilding it, educating, right? I think for the longest time, we've always been kind of a silent neighbor to a lot of communities. And so I think this would, and you know, along with people being angry, right? We are going to protest. We are going to educate. So I think with this, people are going to learn that, you know, Asian people did not just pop up out of nowhere to start businesses and, you know, have all these generational money (laughs) of some sort, you know, a lot of us are immigrants and Asians aren't a monolith. There is a huge disparity in Southeast Asians when it comes to education and income, but a lot of people don't know that. And especially with a president that is going to say China flu and dumb stuff like that, you know, it's going to kind of just create this giant um, cluster of us. And people don't know anything about us. Yeah, it's very true. And something you said that really resonates with me is that it doesn't seem like this was happening before. And I know I can say the same for the Indian community. Generations are talking to one another about these topics that have been otherwise taboo until now, because the time has come and we can't be quiet anymore. And I think it's really a beautiful thing, you know, to hear that you're talking with your parents about this. And, you know, I would say even like another generation up for anyone who still has grandparents around. I do think that, you know, out of this sad, terrible thing, I do think that there's a silver lining there, which is engaging in that conversation. And, you know, for me also, like, well, trying to pull out like sort of the cultural aspects, right? We're, we're the melting pot here in America, but you don't want to melt so much that you lose all of that. So I, I love that out of this terrible time has come a dialogue that will facilitate, you know, sort of the education piece, like you said, as well as passing on the cultural traditions and norms, because you're not another, you know, it's, it's a beautiful culture. And so, I don't know, I'm just, I'm... <laughs> holding on to hope that that will continue and trying to find the good in it. Thanks for tuning in to Hindsight's 2020. I hope you leave feeling more connected and able to see your own silver linings. If you enjoyed this episode, 
please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. Special thanks to my sound engineer, John Kerr of Wayfair Recording. We can't do any of this without your support. Follow us on Instagram at Hindsight's 2020 Podcast and join the conversation at Hindsight's 2020 Podcast on Facebook.